The truths that shape us most deeply are often truths that we rarely think about. We believe them, we have accepted them in the back of our mind, but we can go days or weeks or even months without actively thinking about them. When is the last time you read your wedding vows or your job description? When is the last time you thought deeply about whether it's worth it to make sure your kids get a good education? Most of those things we don't think about very often. We already have convictions and beliefs about them that affect the way that we live every day. As we love our spouses, as we do our jobs, as we take our kids to school or educate them at home. In a similar way, you probably don't think very often about the day of judgment, right? about the judgment of God. But if you're a Christian, you believe it's going to happen. You believe there's going to be a day of judgment when everyone is going to give an account before the Lord. And that belief shapes the way that you live. Day to day, you make choices. You're not really thinking about it in these terms, but you are making choices knowing that one day you are going to have to give an account for how you live, for what you've done or not done. But when we do reach for that truth that's buried back there somewhere in our minds and we bring it out and we think about it, we know the the basics, we know that God is going to judge, but there are certain questions that we still have. How is God going to judge? By what standard is he going to judge? Will everyone be judged by the same standard? Who is going to pass the test, so to speak? Who will um, survive the judgment or be justified on the day of judgment? Well, as you turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 2 and verse 12... We're going to see some answers to those questions, and some of those questions Paul has already answered for us in Romans chapter 2. Remember that Paul has already said in Romans chapter 1 that all men are sinful, and uh, that no one is exempt from their sin against God because everyone knows that God exists. No one can plead ignorance. But most of chapter 1 was about um, pagan people, immoral people. Uh, and the way that they sinned against God. And so in chapter 2, Paul says, okay, now to you moral, religious types who think that you're the good guys and the pagans are the bad guys, let me tell you that you too are going to have to stand before the judgment of God. You too are a sinner, and you too are going to have to give an account. And he's thinking mainly there of the Jews, though it applies to other people as well. And what we saw uh, here recently in Romans chapter 2 is that God is going to judge everyone according to their works, and He is going to judge without partiality. His judgment will be impartial, right? But again, there are still questions that have not been answered. If God is impartial in judging both Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, Is he going to judge them the same way, by the same standard? Or is there going to be a different standard? They're both going to be judged according to works, but what works? I mean, Jews had the law and Gentiles didn't. So 
Can they be judged the same way? How is that going to work? Let's look at what Paul says in verses 12 to 16 of Romans chapter 2. Paul says, For all all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, here's the first thing that Paul tells us in these verses. He's just told us that God's judgment is impartial, that God's judgment applies to Jews and Gentiles, that both Jews and Gentiles will be judged according to their works. But in verse 12, he answers the question of, will they be judged by the same standard? Right? Will, they be, will they have to measure up right, to the same measuring line, so to speak? And his answer there is no, they will be both judged by a just standard, but that standard will be different, right? Verse 12, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. In other words, those pagan peoples who've lived all throughout the history of the world, I mean, think about this, there are people even now have no knowledge of God's law, no knowledge of the gospel, no knowledge of scripture, How will those people be judged? How will people be judged who lived, you know, 2,000 years B.C., who never encountered a Jew, never went to a synagogue, never heard the Scriptures, don't know the Ten Commandments? How are they going to be judged? Are they going to be judged for breaking the Ten Commandments? Are they going to be judged for not keeping the Sabbath? Are they going to be judged for not listening to Moses? No. They will not be judged for not living up to a standard they did not know, right? But they will be judged. He says, all, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So they are still sinners, just like Paul talked about in chapter 1. All people have sinned against God because everyone knows God exists, but nobody by nature worships and thanks God as he deserves, Everybody instead turns to idolatry by nature. We're broken, sinful creatures. Adam and Eve turned against God in the beginning, and we have all been walking the opposite direction ever since, until God changes us, until God saves us, right? So everyone has sinned, everyone knows God exists and fails to worship God as they ought. So everyone has sinned at some level. And so those who have sinned, knowing something about God, But not knowing as much as the Jews knew, not having the law, they will still perish. They'll still be judged for their sin. They'll still be held accountable for the ways that they sinned. But they will not perish because of the law. They will perish because they sinned against what knowledge they did have. 
Again, at the minimum, they know that there's a God. They know that He deserves worship and honor and praise, and they don't worship Him. At the minimum, everyone will be held accountable to that. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.20 that they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse for not worshiping God because everybody knows He exists. So whatever knowledge these pagans did have of what is right and true, of how God created us to live, what things He wants us not to do, whatever knowledge of that they did have, they will be held accountable to that. And they will still perish, they will still be judged, but it will not be on the basis of the law of Moses. Because they didn't have that. That wouldn't be just, it wouldn't be right to hold them to that standard. But then he says in the second half of verse 12, all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So those who did have the law, the Jews, who did have the law, who didn't know the law, who went to the synagogue every Sabbath and heard the scriptures read, who knew what God said, who knew what God expected, who knew, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and uh, you should not use the name of the Lord your God in vain, and keep the Sabbath, and honor your parents, and don't murder, and don't steal, and, and, and so on, and all the rest of the commandments. Those who did know those commandments, they will be judged by them for whether or not they lived up to them. All right, so here's the, here's the principle that Paul is giving us in verse 12. God will not hold anyone to a standard they did not know or have access to. God will not hold anyone to a standard they did not know or have access to. And and here's a, a place this helps us. Often people will ask the question, will people be judged for not believing in Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus. This verse makes the answer to that question very simple. The answer is no. Nobody is going to be judged for not accepting Jesus if they've never even heard of Jesus. Now, are they still going to be judged? Yes. If they've never heard of Jesus, are they going to be condemned? Yes, because they have no escape from their sin. Right? They're going to be judged for their sin. They have no Savior. They haven't heard of Christ. This is why we're supposed to share the gospel. This is why we're supposed to do missions. Right? If people were fine without Jesus, if they could escape the judgment without Jesus, we wouldn't need to do missions. We wouldn't need to share the gospel. But they're not going to be judged for not hearing the gospel. They're not going to be judged for not living up to a law they were never taught, not believing in a person they never heard of. They will be judged based on what they knew, not based on what they did not know. Here's the flip side of that. We will be held accountable for what we do know. We will be held accountable for what we do know. If someone knows the Bible backwards and forwards, but doesn't believe it, and doesn't live according to it, and doesn't practice it, they will still be held accountable according to it. They will be held accountable for all that they knew and had heard and been taught from the Scriptures, even though they decided not to have anything to do with it, not to live according to it, not to obey it. We will be held accountable for what we do know. So no one will be held accountable for what they don't know. That would be unjust. And God's judgment is always just. 
So no one's going to be held accountable for failing to live up to a standard they were never told or taught. But all of us will be held accountable for how poorly or how well we lived up to the standard that we were taught. Now, if that is the case, if that is the case, who, if anybody, lives up to the standard? Who is going to be justified on the last day? Here's what Paul says in verse 13. He says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now let's take the the first part of that statement first. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. Now here again is one of those places very clear in chapter 2 that Paul is taking aim mainly at the Jews. Remember that the Jews, at least some of them, thought that because of their privileged position as Jews, as God's covenant people who have been chosen by God, who have been given the law, given the promises of Abraham, all those things, they thought they were fine. Right? They, they thought we're on God's side, God's on our side, we don't have to fear the judgment, we're the good guys, those Gentiles are the bad guys. And Paul has said, no, you're sinners too, you're also going to be judged according to your works, and guess what? Nobody does all the good works they're supposed to do. So you're all in need of a Savior. You all need this gospel I'm preaching. You all need Jesus crucified and risen. You all need pardon for your sins. You're, you're in trouble too. You need the gospel too. But at this point, he's, so he's taking aim at, at sort of that general belief. Here he's taking aim at the specific belief that because they have the law, they are righteous. Paul says, no, 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 that's, that's not how it works. Right? Carrying around a Bible does not make you holy. It's, it just doesn't. Right? Being a hearer of the law does not make you righteous before God. You're not righteous because you go to the synagogue every Sabbath and hear Moses and the prophets read. That does not make you righteous. It's good. He's not, not trying to dissuade them. Right from hearing the law, but that is not enough. It is not enough to be a hearer of the law only. Just hearing the law, just hearing the scriptures, does not make you righteous. So here's what that means for us. It's good to listen to the Bible, to listen to sermons, to read devotionals, to... You know, have all kinds of Christian teaching in your life. That's all good. Just know that doing those things, hearing those things, reading those things, does not change your standing before God. One guy said, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Being there doesn't change you. Hearing it doesn't change you. God changes you as you hear and the hearing is met with faith. But hearing alone does not change you from sinner to righteous in God's sight. Sitting in church, opening a Bible, listening to a sermon, none of that makes you a righteous person. It's important for your spiritual growth once you become a Christian. It's vital. It's good. It's healthy. 
But it becomes dangerous when we think that participating in that thing by itself makes us righteous, makes us acceptable in God's sight. Paul says that's not how it works. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, that sounds like a direct contradiction to many other things that Paul says, not only in Romans, but in other letters that Paul wrote. Paul makes it very clear that we are justified by faith in Christ alone apart from works of the law. So how come here he says it's the doers of the law who will be justified? Aren't aren't those in contradiction? They're not. They seem to be at first, but they're not. What he's saying here is really the same thing he said back in verse 6 and verse 7. Right When he said that God's going to render to each one according to their works, and he said to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And what we said that means is Christians, people who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, they become new creatures. They have new desires. Right, We're new creations in Christ, and we start living a different way imperfectly, but we live a different way. We seek for different things. We love different things. We do different things than we did before we were saved. James says, your faith without works is dead, which means living faith produces good works. Even Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says this. We're saved by grace through faith apart from works. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For you are Christ's workmanship, or God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right? So, the, the works are the fruit of the faith. Right? Faith works through love, Paul says in Galatians 5. Here, Paul is talking about the exact same thing. When he says, it is the doers of the law who will be justified. He is not saying that they will be justified on the basis of their doing the law. He's saying the people who will be pronounced just or righteous on the last day are the people who do the law. And the only people who do the law, imperfectly, but truly, the only people who do the law are people who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. In other words, people who are not only hearers of the word, but who have been made doers of the word by grace. Now, let me show you a place in Romans that I think makes that pretty clear. All right, this is Romans 8, 3 and 4. You can turn there if you want to, and then come, well, we're going to come back to chapter 2. But this is a, this is a really important verse. I think this is a really helpful verse for, for thinking about this, how all this works. All right, so here's what he says, Romans 8, 3 and 4. Paul says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So there are certain things the law can't do, not because the law is weak, but because our flesh is weak. The law can tell us what righteousness looks like. It cannot make us righteous. It can tell us what is sinful, what we should not do. It can't keep us from sinning. But God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So become like one of us but without sin, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, right, he died for sin, to atone for our sin, 
By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice he does not say, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled for us. Now there is a sense in which Jesus fulfilled the law for us by his perfect obedience. right? But here he's saying, God sent Jesus to die for sin, to deal with sin in a way the law could not do, so that in us the law might be fulfilled because we're no longer living according to our sinful flesh, but we are now walking by the Spirit. Do you see that? So when we we become Christians, we become new creations, we're filled with the Spirit, and now, again, we obey the law, we fulfill the law imperfectly. We still sin, but we do the law in ways we were never able to do it before. We do the law some at least. Again, not not perfectly, not fully, but we do obey the law. We are now doers of the law, just like James calls us to be. Don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers of the word. Right? Paul says in um, in Galatians 5, after he has argued and argued and argued that we are not under the law, that we are not subject to the old covenant, that we are not required to become Jews and be circumcised and keep the law in order to be saved. All you have to do is turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And Christ alone is your righteousness, is your salvation, is your redemption, is your forgiveness. And then after he argues for all of that, then he turns around and says in chapter 5, love one another because love fulfills the law. (laughs) I thought we didn't have to worry about the law. You don't to earn your salvation. But once you're saved, you start fulfilling the law. As you live a life of love. Right? So when Paul says here in Romans 2, back in Romans 2, is the doers of the law who will be justified. I think what he's saying is, you Jews who don't believe in Jesus, you hear the law, you go to the synagogue, and you think because of that you're righteous. But you're not. Do you want to know who's going to be declared righteous on the last day? These people... Jews and Gentiles who have believed in Christ and have been now indwelt by the Holy Spirit whose lives have been changed and now they are actually doing what the law required, the main requirement being love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. They are actually fulfilling the law in the way that you Jews who don't believe in Jesus never have been able to do. And they, on the last day, are going to be pronounced righteous, and you're not. So on the last day, on the last day, who is going to pass the test, so to speak? Who is going to be declared righteous? We know even now, Paul says, even now, the ungodly who trust in Christ, are justified now, declared righteous now. Their sins are forgiven now. And Paul says, on the last day, because this is future tense here in chapter 2, on the last day, those who do the law are going to be pronounced righteous in God's sight. What I'm saying is, Paul is talking about the same group in both of those scenarios. 
The people who are pronounced righteous now are the ungodly who repent and trust in Christ. No works to commend them before God. No righteousness of their own. But when they turn to Christ, they receive the righteousness of Christ and the forgiveness that Christ purchased. And they are righteous in God's sight now. And on the last day, those who are pronounced righteous at the judgment before God are going to be the people who did the law. And those are the same people. The same people. Right? Now, we have... Three more verses, and you're probably wondering, how in the world are we going to get through the rest of this? Here's the thing. Verse 14 and 15 are very difficult, and um, I thought I knew what they meant before I started studying this week. And then I started studying, and I realized, I'm not so sure. There are two ways of understanding these two verses that are very different, and both in their own way very compelling. And so rather than spend a whole sermon telling you what might be, I wanted to focus most of the sermon on what I'm confident about, which is verses 12 and 13 and even verse 16. Verse 14 and 15, let me just tell you real quickly the two ways you can interpret those and then you can chew on it on your own. We could spend a whole sermon on this, but I didn't think that was the best use of our time. So here's, here's what Paul is saying. He says, he talks about Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, but they do what the law requires, and they show that they have the work of the law written on their hearts, and then he talks about how their conscience bears witness, their thoughts accuse or even excuse them. What is he talking about? There are two views. One is the natural law view, which is that he's talking about how Gentiles who don't have the law have some aspects of the law built into them, right? They know it's wrong to murder. They know it's good to honor their parents. They know it's not good to steal. And even if they make some exceptions here or there, by and large, most people in most places throughout most of history have certain things that they all know are wrong, right? And and that's what Paul is talking about here, that even Gentiles have some access to the law, even though they don't have the law of Moses in full. And if that's what Paul is talking about, then what he would be answering here is the question, how do you sin without the law? What standard are the Gentiles going to be held up to on the day of judgment? And the answer to that question would be the standard of the law that was written on their heart, that was built into them. They even have consciences and thoughts that are telling them at times, you're doing the wrong thing. Okay, that time you did the wrong thing, the right thing. But a lot of the times you're doing the wrong thing. Right? They, they know that they are sinning. They know that they are doing things that are wrong. So that's the first view. That's the view that I assumed this text was teaching before I really dug into it. Here's the other view. The other view is called the New Covenant view. And this view says, when Paul says that the work of the law is written on their hearts. That sounds an awful lot like Jeremiah's promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, where it says that in the new covenant, not only are our sins going to be forgiven, and not only are we going to know God, but God's law is going to be written on our hearts. It would be very unusual for Paul to um, use wording that close to something in the Old Testament and not want us to think about that statement in the Old Testament. So is that, and and the wording I don't think is exact, but it's close, right? So um, if that's the case, 
then what he's saying here is, he's saying, here's how some of the doers of the law are going to be justified, even though they don't have the law. Right? They do have the law. Now that they've been saved, the law is written on their heart, even though they, they've not grown up going to synagogues. But now God has written his word, his law on their hearts. Right? And so they are able to do what the law requires. They're able to fulfill the law, even though they didn't grow up under the law of Moses like you Jews did. Right? That, th- those are the two basic positions. And I, I'm obviously drawing on other people for, for help um, explaining those and articulating those. But those, those are the two basic ones. Right? Both of them are, are compelling in their own way. We all know that people have an inherent sense of right and wrong. We know that from experience. Right? But at the same time, Paul has been talking about Gentiles who obey the law without having the law in verses 6 through 11. And he's going to talk about that some more in the rest of chapter 2. So that seems to fit with the context and seems to fit with Jeremiah 31. So which one is it? I don't know. Right? <laughs> That's why I'm just giving you the, the overview. That's some, something to chew on, right? something to think about. But here's what we do know. Verse 16, last verse. On that day... According to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Here's another reason why we know that God's judgment is going to be just. I'm not not the first to point this out. One of the reasons why we know God's judgment is going to be just is because God knows everything. Often judgment in this world is imperfect because judges have imperfect knowledge. Juries have imperfect knowledge. They, they have to decide based on what they know. And sometimes they get it wrong, unintentionally, just because there's something they don't know. Later, a piece of evidence comes out and says, ooh, looks like we got that wrong. There will never be a piece of evidence that God did not know about that comes out later that would reverse or overturn his judgment. God knows everything. There are no secrets. He knows our thoughts He knows our feelings. He knows our desires. He knows everything about us better than we know ourselves. And so there is going to be, there will be no injustice in God's judgment. God will judge impartially. It will not be based on your nationality, based on your family, based on your money, based on your class, based on this, that, or the other. God will judge by a fair standard. He will not hold you accountable for something you did not know, had no access to, were not taught. Nothing will be hidden from Him. No one will be justified merely because of some, you know, some uh, thing they heard. The only people who will be justified will be those who have heard the good news about Christ. And who have, by God's grace, repented of their sin and turned to Jesus in faith. And those people don't go on about their lives like nothing happened. They don't continue to live in sin, unrepentant, living the same way they always lived. Those people are changed. They're made new. They're made different. They're not made perfect, but they are made different. And so Paul says it's those people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Not everyone who says to me, this is not, in other words, this is not Paul making this up. Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who will? 
but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Who does the will of my Father in heaven? Not just those who hear the word, because the guy who heard the word and didn't do it built his house on the sand. Those who hear the word of Jesus and do it are those who build their house on the rock. And those are the ones who are going to survive. That's all Paul's saying. He's saying exactly what Jesus said. Not that we earn salvation by works, but that our salvation is evidenced by our works. And that just sitting in a church or sitting in a synagogue or hearing the Bible or hearing the law is not enough to save anybody. The only people who are saved are those who trust in Christ, crucified and risen. And only they are able then to walk in a new way of obedience to God. Let's pray.